All right, guys, this is Hampton with the More and More Podcast. I'm excited to be back with you today. Um, a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. The podcast, Following Up on Abortion with Dr. Patrick Wright, is out. You guys should stop this one and go listen to that one because it's really awesome. Pat provides a ton of great insight, answers a bunch of questions. Um, with that said, today we are going to be talking about sex. Let's talk about it. Yeah, we're going to talk about sex today. Um, so it's going to get a little weird. Viewer discretion is advised. Um, we were going to talk about sex and gender, but I really think they ought to be two separate podcasts. And so I'm going to wait and release a podcast on gender separately. Um, but this one is about sex. The reason why I want to talk about sex today is I read a pretty insane article. Um, I read an article about, uh, let's see, a famous basketball player whose name is Wilt Chamberlain. You guys might have heard of him, Wilt Chamberlain. He claims to have had sex with 20,000 women. 20,000 women. And so really, I just um, I, I started thinking about how prevalent this issue is. This is um, when, I, when I share some of the statistics about, about it that I've done my research on. You're going to see why I think it's so important to talk about. But also, this is an issue that hits me pretty close to home. I mean, uh, I am someone who came out of a different lifestyle um, growing up and before I came to Christ. And, and uh, sex and pornography is a thing that has affected me in the past. And I, I won't go into too much detail, but um, it's something that has, has hit me. And I'm not alone in that. That's actually a, uh, that's across the board. That's a, it's a thing. Um, it's not... Uh, even something that I would blanch at saying on a podcast like this because it's so common. And so at the end of this, I'm going to give some resources um, to some people. I'm going to, I'm going to give some, some ways that you can begin to, uh, to change your life if this is something that's affected you. But I want you uh, college students to be aware of just how prevalent these issues are. So I've got some statistics for you. The first one is simply, first ones are simply about Pornography. So we're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about sex among college students. Just so you have an idea of what we're dealing with. Check this out. This is just talking about uh, the pornography website Pornhub, okay? They totaled 33.5 billion searches or visits in 2018. 33.5 billion. That's a 5 billion increase uh, over 2017, a daily average of 92 million visitors and daily visits, um, that was in 2017. Now they total over 100 million visitors daily, 100 million. 30.3 billion searches or 962 searches per second. That's insane. Every uh, minute, 12 new videos and two hours of content are uploaded to Pornhub. That should, that should just be... It's, it's shocking. Shocking. Millennials, so those aged 18 to 34, remain 61% of Pornhub's traffic. 61%. So college students are making up the largest demographic um, that are visiting Pornhub. Uh, college students play into that at 61%. Uh, 80% of Pornhub's worldwide visits now come from smartphones and tablets. These are, this is Pornhub providing these statistics. It's pretty insane. The United States is the top consumer of illegal child pornography in the world. In the world. 
one in six people have admitted to using public Wi-Fi to watch adult content. That's Airbnbs and hotels, cafes, work, airports, on the streets, all of it. But it's not just pornography, right? I, w- I got some even more statistics. I want to I share with you how common sex addiction actually is. Sex addiction. Let's see. Pull up my statistics. The prevalence of sex addiction and cardiovascular disease in America are nearly the same, according to a recovery website, Recovery Ranch. It says this, 3 to 6% of U.S. adults, that's 7.4 to 14 million U.S. adults on the low end, that's the exact same number of Americans working for large employers who leave or lose their jobs every year. That's insane. More people are addicted to sex than those who are abusing prescription drugs. Think about that. More people are addicted to sex uh, on the high end of those numbers than those who are abusing prescription drugs. But let's keep going. Let's keep going. There are nearly as many condoms sold every minute than there are weekly Sex Addicts Anonymous meetings. Every week, there's about 1,000 Sex Addicts Anonymous meetings that uh, meet across the U.S. About a th- uh, Just over 900 condoms are sold every minute in the U.S. So those numbers are pretty equitable. A Harvard study found that 60% of college students are sexually active. Of that 60%, only 59% of those students are using condoms regularly. Which means, let me get my numbers straight here. Yeah, which means about 45% are using condoms. 45%. So we can see that sex is becoming an epidemic for the college student. It's pornography is becoming an epidemic. Sex addiction is becoming an epidemic. Uh, this is no doubt when we look at our culture and where we sit, where we stand, there is no doubt that this is the case. I mean, every movie features a sex scene. It's not even rated R anymore. I mean, PG-13 movies are featuring sex scenes. Sex is ultra prevalent. And the problem is not the um, just the, the movies that we're watching, just the shows that we're watching. I mean, you guys know that I like Game of Thrones and that could be its own episode. The problem is, is that it's, uh, in combination and in tandem with this massive amount of, of pornography. And what it's leading to, no doubt, is a more sexually promiscuous generation overall. 60% of college students admit to being sexually active. What does that mean for us? So I want to get into some of these questions that our, our viewers, our, our listeners asked. Um, because I think they're indicative of where the church sits uh, on this issue. There's no doubt. I mean, I just spent six minutes telling you some statistics, but the reality is is that it's pretty obvious that we're in a a bad way as far as um, sexuality, as far as sexual promiscuity. So I don't want you guys to feel attacked as I... Um, go through this. I, I don't want anybody to feel indi- indicted on this because I, I want to land in a, in a pretty good place. I want to land in a place that, that makes sense. But I, I want you to be aware of the danger facing you who are sexually active. 
I want you to be aware of some of the statistics. Because the reality is, is that if you're a Christian in college, the greatest issue facing you may not be your atheist professor. It may not be uh, drinking. It may be the fact that sexual promiscuity and pornography are readily available at every turn. In my opinion, it is pornography and these uh, resulting sexual disorders and sexual promiscuity that is the greatest danger facing the American college student and the American Christian college student. Absolutely. I would actually be willing to wager that we have more students uh, in our college ministries abusing pornography and abusing um, each other uh, through premarital sex than we do have students who have a problem with alcohol. And alcohol is very prevalent in college, but I think pornography is that much bigger. It's, it's the, the reality of what it is. Because what pornography does is lead to sexual promiscuity. What sexual promiscuity does is lead to increased sexual promiscuity. And what increased sexual promiscuity uh, does is lead us to um, things like cohabitation, which we're, we're going to talk about and define. It leads us to um, a, a vast array of partners. It lead us to, leads us to increasing statistical um, rates of STDs among college students, which are through the roof. It leads to all those things. It's a chain reaction. In fact, another statistic off the, the pornography study, which is Enough is Enough organization, is the um, statistic, statistics website that I'm, I'm going through. But it found that um, 19% of college students in the past year have found that their, um, their desired, uh, I guess, things that they're looking at on pornography have increased in extreme in the extreme or have increased in their obscene nature so they're not just watching um certain sexual videos their, their content is becoming more extreme meaning they're watching uh things that are more more shocking their lusts are becoming more so isn't this how we should um understand all things isn't this the nature of sin right we we used to learn it when we were kids right when when we lie in a small thing we'll lie in a big thing when we uh, say a curse word here, we'll, we'll say a bunch of them later. This is how sin works. It starts off just an enticement, and then all of a sudden we're eating the whole thing. You first want one bite of cake, and then uh, a, a few seconds later, you're 13 layers in to this chocolate cake, and you don't know where you're at. That's the reality that we're looking at. So if you're a college student... I want to start in one place. You know, it used to be that premarital sex, we, we pretty much knew that it was a sin. We were willing to talk about it. We were willing to call it that. And we, uh, we, didn't, we didn't really budge on that. But now the debate is up for whether or not this is even a sin. One of our, one of our listeners sent in a question and asked uh, several questions. So I'm going to read this question to you. It says, is premarital sex really a sin? If so, actually, I'm going I'm to wait. The first thing I want to say is, is premarital sex really a sin? There's a great article on seedbed.com. Seedbed.com, the title of the article is, Is Premarital Sex a Sin? Bible Scholars Respond. And, and I'm going to let them do the heavy lifting because they explain it a lot better than I do. But if you want to read the article, go to seedbed.com, and it says, Is Premarital Sex Really a Sin? 
And this student comes up and he asks that, and then he quotes an obscure Old Testament passage, which is Exodus twenty-two sixteen, which says that, <laughs> man, this is unbelievable. Um, he 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 basically misstates this this verse in Exodus, um, Exodus twenty-two sixteen. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pull it up. That'll that'll be easier than me trying to butcher what he says. It, what this this student's question that this article is answering is a little incoherent, and so we're gonna we're gonna pull up Exodus twenty two sixteen for you guys because I should have done this before the show. This is what happens when Caleb is out. I get a little flustered, but this is where we're gonna go. It says this if a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, has sex with her, that's what she should understand. So he seduces a virgin who is not betrothed, meaning uh, he has sex with a woman who's never had sex, but this would go for unmarried woman as well, and lies with her and has sex with her, comma, he shall give his bride price for her and make her his wife. Okay? So what we think is, since there's a provision in that verse in Exodus, then all he has to do is pay the bride price and make her his wife. Why would the Bible tell us to do that if sex was a sex before marriage was a sin? Well, the answer is very clear, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna read some some excerpts from this article, try to answer. Doctor Ben Witherington III responds this: As is clear from 1 Corinthians seven, virginity in a woman was highly valued before marriage. Marriage, marriage. <laughs> Jeez, it's been a long day. In that text, she is called to be both the betrothed and a virgin. In early Jewish law, and this is true, if you had sex with a woman, you were considered married to her or you had shamed her. So what he's saying is the whole point of that Exodus 22 verse is not that it provides a way out. It actually says that if you seduce a woman who is not your wife, you should marry her. Meaning, it is actually saying that if you have sex with a woman, you have formed a covenant bond with her. And this is, this is the same for women. If you have sex with a man, you have formed a covenant bond with him that cannot be broken as easily. We know this to be true. There's a reason why, for those of you who had sex with someone in high school, it's so hard to break up after that. There's a reason why, the reason why it typically gets awkward among college students who break up, and, and my friend Sarah Judge has said this, it, the reason why it gets so hard and awkward and gossipy when you break up in college, even if you're Christian, is usually because there's been some impurity in that relationship. You form a bond with a person when you uh, derobe them, when you have sex with them, that can't be easily separated. The Bible is not providing a way out of sin or an excuse for sin by making them their wife. The Bible is acknowledging that sin has consequences and that consequence is that you form a physical bond and a physical attachment to a person and the Bible says the best answer for this is marriage. Now I'm not a, um, I'm, I'm not a, a, someone who's perfectly followed this. In fact, I'm the opposite. It is by God's grace that I'm where I am today because I have not been in relationships that have honored God in this way. And the Bible, uh, even in the Exodus 22 passage, interprets this, but 1 Corinthians 7, which talks about a, a woman who is to be married should be a virgin, um, and the implication is that it's all people. Uh, the, the word virgin is typically applied to women in marriage, but it actually um, is the same for men. 
Matthew 19 says fidelity in heterosexual marriage or being a eunuch. Jesus gives his disciples two choices. Be in a marriage that doesn't have sex outside of it or be a eunuch. Jesus doesn't mince words in Matthew 19. Dr. Bill Arnold responds. Let's see. The legal stipulation in f- the, that the man has, in fact, he has res- reversed the process in the Old Testament. He should have negotiated bride price, then married her, then had intercourse. The point of the law, quoting, as with many other laws in the book of the covenant, is that he has willfully done something wrong and must now make amends. This text in Exodus 22 is actually following um, the whole book of the law. It operates on the same thing. You do something wrong, you now have to make amends. It actually supports your position in this verse in Exodus 22. So the Bible is pretty clear that sex outside of marriage is a sin, based on Old Testament and New Testament. But let's keep going. I want to make sure I get to all of this stuff. There's a good quote in this one. Give me one second. Yes. Dr. Lawson Stone says this. Oh, man. This is good. The fact is that in the Old Testament, a marriage was seen as naturally being real when sexual intercourse took place because sexual intercourse is the actual physical and emotional uniting of the man and the woman. This is called consummation. This is the origin of the tradition in the Roman Catholic Church that a wedding is not follow, a wedding not followed by sexual intercourse is not consummated, incomplete, and may be annulled. This proposition is not reversible. That one can have sex and consider oneself married. So the idea is this, based on the Old Testament, if you have sex with a person, the Bible acknowledges that you have engaged in marriage action with them, and for a man, he must pay the bridal price. He must pay the bridal price. That's what that means. So the Old Testament says you must marry if you have sex with a woman. That's how you make amends, because you've engaged in marriage action. The Old Testament is very clear about this. But the New Testament is clear as well. Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7. What I think is happening here, especially in Exodus 22, is the same way when Jesus asks, uh, or when a Pharisee comes and asks Jesus, um, you say we're not allowed to divorce. Why would Moses give us, uh, write us divorce certificates? And Jesus responds by saying, uh, Moses knew that your hearts were too hard to understand the law of God. And so he granted you the right to divorce. I think also Moses knew that our hearts were too hard, and so he granted amendment, um, amends for making, uh, making what is supposed to be within the confines of marriage without the confines of marriage. The reality is, is that sex outside of marriage is a sin, but it's also unwise. It's also unwise. I'm going to come back to the rest of our listener's question in a minute. But another listener asked, before I come back, what are the effects of cohabitation outside of marriage? What are the effects of cohabitation? Cohabitation, um, so you understand, is when two people live together before, and, and the assumption is that they're having sex. So they're living together and having sex before marriage. They're living together and they're having sex before marriage. 
What is the effect of that? Study after study have shown that the effect of cohabitation slash premarital sex leads to worse marriage overall for people. I'll cite some studies for you. Kahn and London in 1991 from the National Survey of Family Growth uh, state this in their conclusion. Women who are sexually active prior to marriage face considerably higher risk of marital disruption than women who are virgin brides. The scholars explain that even when controlling for various deferentials between virginal and non-virginal groups, such as socioeconomics, family background, and attitudinal and value differences, non-virgins still face a much higher risk of divorce than virgins. So across the board, now their study was just studying women. So they said that women that were sexually active beforehand have worse marriages. Lawman, Gagnon, Michael, and Michaels in 1994 uh, studied at the University of Chicago, found that for both genders, we find that virgins have dramatically more stable first marriages. Additionally, those who marry as non-virgins, so the opposite, all other things being equal, are more likely to be unfaithful over the remainder of their life compared with those spouses who do not marry as virgins. Or who do marry as virgins, excuse me. You're more likely to be um, unfaithful to your spouse. Higher prevalence of marital infidelity. Greater links to uh, those who marry as virgins go uh, to greater links to avoid divorce. Heaton in 2002 at Brigham Young University found this, dissolution rates are substantially higher among those who initiate sexual activity before marriage. <laughs> Teachman in 2003 is a sociologist, studied how premarital sex and cohabitation impact risks of divorce among women. It remains the case, however, that women with more than one intimate relationship prior to marriage have an elevated risk of marital disruption. Put... <laughs> It's just everywhere. University of Iowa, 2011. Research shows that adolescent sexuality, premarital sex, is associated with marital dissolution or divorce. Adolescent sexual debut is not, that is not completely wanted is both directly and indirectly linked to marital dissolution. Man, unbelievable. Conclusion. Scientists is, <laughs> science is now showing us what our grandmothers and pastors knew all along. Having sex with someone who is not our spouse can have real, measurable, and harmful in impact upon re later relationships. Studies also show that over 60% uh, of relationships that cohabitate will end in divorce. Upwards of 75% according to some studies. This is just a statistical fact. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So not only is premarital sex a sin, but the effects of cohabitation and premarital sex are dire. And I got news for you guys. This actually doesn't go down in the American church. The rate of divorce in the American church is equal to the rate outside of the church. Something is drastically wrong. But maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're like me. And you've got a checkered past when it comes to sex and sexuality. And you think, what is my way forward? What is my way forward? Because now that I'm walking with Jesus and trying to remain celibate, it doesn't seem like you're giving me a lot of hope. I've got good news. I think I've got the best news ever, as a matter of fact. 
The rest of our listener's question, our listener who asked if premarital sex was a sin, she says this. If so, is there any way to redeem yourself? If not, why? To me, every statistic about pornography, every statistic about college, college-age students and sex, every statistic about sex addiction, and every statistic about cohabitation and premarital sex really come down to this question. Is there a way to redeem yourself? If not, why? Because if you're anything like me, your past is going to affect your future, and it's terrifying. I'm single. I'm 24. I've had a checkered past with this. I'm walking with the King Jesus now. But I got to admit to you guys, if I can be honest, and this podcast is a little bit like therapy for me. I mean, it's, it's a time for me to just talk and, and get some of my ideas out there, but also just be honest about what I'm dealing with and going through. And if I'm honest with you guys, I'm terrified that my past with sex and with pornography are going to affect a future relationship. The lie that I get told the most by the enemy is that because of my past, I'm unlovable. Because of my past, I'm not worthy of love. Because of my past, all I'm going to do is, is lead, it's going to lead to relationships that are going to get destroyed. And they're going to get destroyed by me because that's what I do. I break things. And that's terrifying, man. It's terrifying to think, and, I, and I'll do this. And I, again, I, I hope I'm not being too honest, but I get absolutely terrified that the reason that I'm single and 24 is because um, it's what I deserve. I get absolutely terrified that any woman that I can convince to be my wife, and this is not going to turn into that, but any woman that I can convince to be my wife is going to see my past and my history and she's going to regret everything. She's, going to, she's not going to be able to love me. I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately worried that I'm incapable of being loved. That's a thing that I think about. And so I want to speak directly to this listener, but also to those of you who have asked this about yourself. Is there any way to redeem yourself? I've thought about this question over and over and over. I've asked this question, how can I redeem myself? How can I, how can I change the way that I think? You know what the answer is? I'm about to blow your mind, hopefully. If you've ever asked that question based on your past, is there any way to redeem yourself? I want to give you guys an answer, and I hope that you um, will continue listening after I give you the answer. The answer is whether or not you can redeem yourself from your sexual past, the answer is unequivocally and loudly no. There is absolutely nothing you can do to redeem yourself. If so, why not? Because left to your own devices, left alone, don't stop listening after I say this, your identity is your past. But I've got good news. It's news that has been really freeing for me in evaluating who I am. I mean, I'm someone who's been walking with the Lord since I was 17. And I've been, I struggled with, with sex and pornography before that, and I struggled with it after. The reality is, 
is that the only thing, the only thing that can redeem you is not actually a thing, it's a person, and his name is Jesus. Some of you are listening and you're not really sure about the whole Jesus thing, and I just said that and you're ready to tune out. Uh, but I gotta say, it's worth a shot. If you're listening to this and you never tried the Jesus thing, but you're wondering how uh, to rid yourself of these things, I think the Jesus thing is worth a shot. The Jesus thing is worth a shot, man, because uh, the, the answer is, is that sex is like everything else. It's like every other sin, uh, premarital sex. Marital sex, I, I'm not, I've never been married, so I don't know, but marital sex is, is, a, is a good thing. The Bible talks about it as a good thing. God created it. God was not shocked by it. He designed us to have sex in marriage. But premarital sex, just like any other sin, and pornography, just like any other sin, we can't redeem ourselves from any sin. There is nothing you can do. Romans tells us that there is no one who is righteous. No, not even one. But the good news is this, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the best news I've ever received. At my worst, at my worst struggle with this stuff, at my, at my worst understanding, uh, Christ died for me. So if you want to know if you can redeem yourself, no, you can't, but Jesus can so how do you set about this path of redemption? Well, you ask Jesus to do it. Call on the name of the Lord. You want to know how to set about a path of recovery? Call on the name of the Lord. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and this is where I'm going to try to land before I do some stuff I hate and some stuff I like. One of my favorite stories in the Bible... Oh man, it's of this guy named Abraham. You might have heard of him. But when God gives Abraham a mission, which he has given all believers, he changes Abraham's name. He changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham and says that he will be the father of many nations. Now Abraham's story is one that actually revolves around sex, believe it or not. Abraham is uh, sent to rescue a family member named Lot, and that story revolves around sex, particularly around homosexuality and rape. Abraham is told that he'll be the father of many nations, and that he should trust in his wife Sarah, or Sarai, to have that child, but he can't wait, and so he actually intentionally marries a servant, an attractive servant named Hagar, has sex with her, and has a child outside of God's will, named Ishmael. He then has sex with his 99-year-old wife and has a son. His name is Isaac. The story revolves around sex. But I love that he changed his name from Abram to Abraham and told him he will be the father of many nations. Some of you have been checkered by this past and you've been wondering how to redeem yourself, how to move on. The answer is that you need a name change from broken to whole from frightened to fearless, from hurting to redeemed and forgiven. You, you need that name change, and that's, that's the only thing that can do it. I want to plug some resources for you there. Are, um, I, I did some research for this podcast. There's some uh, great counseling centers all over uh, our city in Columbia, but all over. You should look up Christian counseling. But if you're in Columbia and you need counseling for this particular um, 
problem, sex, pornography, whatever it is, uh, the Christian Counseling Center at First Pres, First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, offers some great solutions. There's also Sex Addicts Anonymous meetings, I believe, all over the city of Columbia. Our church would love to help. Our church would love to help you. Um, Shandon Baptist Church, Shandon College, uh, we'll pay for you to get blockers on your phone if that's what you need. We'll pay for covenant eyes. We'll do, we'll, we'll do all of that. But the reality is, is something's got to change. You can't keep doing the same things you're doing and getting different results. So plug into counseling, plug into addiction programs, plug into uh, getting blockers on your phone, plug into a church most of all because it's where you encounter the living Lord Jesus and he is the one who heals and forgives. You cannot redeem yourself, but the beauty of Christ is that he can redeem you. This has been a podcast all about sex, so I'm going to change it up. But I want you guys to know, before I radically switch subjects, that Shannon is a church that loves you, and there are churches like us all over the place. If you're listening elsewhere, um, Awaken and Charleston, there's all, all over the place. All over the place. Midtown in Columbia, First Pres in Columbia, Riverside, you name it. There's churches everywhere. There's great churches, and you should feel um, you should feel unashamed to reach out to them because that is a step forward. Shame lives in the dark, but forgiveness and healing, those are light things. All right, we're going to radically switch subjects because I feel like I've been talking forever. Um, some stuff I like this week. Uh, or no, let's start with some stuff I hate. Let's start with some stuff I hate. Uh, I listened to both de- Democratic debates over the past two days. Today is a Friday. There was a debate on Wednesday between like, it's kind of the kid- kiddies table. And then the, uh, the other 10 guys. First of all, there's 20 Democratic candidates featured in these two debates. Um, stuff I didn't like. First of all, we, we radically disagree on worldview, uh, at least me and these Democratic candidates. And so a lot of times I felt like we were speaking different languages. We talked about that in the first abortion podcast that you listened to. Um, if you listened, I hope you did. Uh, and we're just speaking different languages. But the biggest thing I like is that they referred to Trump an awful lot. Uh, meaning their, their biggest pitch, and, and it may be valid to some people listening, but the, the Democrats' biggest pitch is that we're not Donald Trump. And what that led to is a lack of discussion about policy. Everybody was just uh, trying to be the most woke person on the stage, trying to be the most, um, I don't know, emotional-driven person, trying to be the most uh, victimized person on the stage. Nobody was actually talking policy. And if you're a victim, that's not a problem, but talk about policy. That's why you're here. There are some policy things that I can't think they could have done. They could have done really, really well. And I, it's, it's just something that I hate. I hate watching people dance around questions because they're not the current president. It makes me sick. It's like, dude, we can do better. You can do better than I'm not Trump and that's why I deserve your vote. There's 20 of you. Somebody has got to make um, some good policy decisions. So that's the first thing that I hate. Stuff I like. Speaking of the Democratic debate, there was a moment in last night's debate where a guy that I radically disagree with on just about everything, I think had the best moment I've seen in politics in the last two years. It was honest. It was real. And this guy is Pete Buttigieg. Now, Pete Buttigieg um, is 
the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's running for president. He's the youngest guy on the, on the stage last night. He was the youngest candidate. He is also gay, which adds a, a worldview component that is just different from mine. Um, he is, again, from South Bend, Indiana. And the question was asked. There was a cop, that, a white cop in South Bend that shot an unarmed black man um, who says, the cop says, basically to explain this, the cop says that he was attacked by the, the African-American guy um, with a knife. Problem is, he didn't have his body cam on. And so it is naturally, and, it, and honestly, I, I don't blame the African-American community for this. They are, they're, they're pretty upset, and they're, they're calling this a racist shooting. Now, we don't know whether it was racist or not. We, just, we do know that this is in a long line of shootings. And so this guy uh, gets killed, and, and people are upset with Pete Buttigieg because he's moving pretty slow in his investigation. And the question was posed directly to Pete Buttigieg last night, and there was, in my head, a million different ways he could have answered this, but the way that he answered it was amazing. They asked him, point blank, what is going on in your city? Why have you not eased the racial tension in your city? And he said, and I want to directly quote him, at least on this first sentence. He said, because I haven't got the job done. Because I haven't got the job done. That's amazing. That's the most honest moment I've seen from a politician probably in a while, <laughs> in a long time. A guy that I radically disagree with, a guy that I don't know that I could ever vote for, but that was, that was an honest moment where I thought, you know what? This guy, although I disagree with him on every level, this guy is out to tell the truth, at least in this scenario, and he's telling it at his own expense, and that's what it's all about. This is ultimately what this podcast is about, is the truth. We're trying to get to the truth together. So the truth today um, has been about sex, it's been about cohabitation, it's been about um, sin, but it's also been about redemption. And so for Pete Buttigieg to tell the truth, it just meant a lot to me. There was a, I, I remember I was watching it with Ben Wolverton, who's been a guest on this podcast, and Billy Judge, my boss and one of my best friends, who will be a guest on this podcast, and we, we all stopped and said that was, that was an honest moment. That, that was an honest moment, and it actually uh, it's still affecting me today. So I thought it was honest. With that said, I need to get out of here. It's been 38 minutes. Be on the lookout for our second podcast on gender. Um, we will get that out to you guys next week. Uh, we, will, we will have that out to you. Um, that said, I'm Hampton Harmon. We're signing off. As always, you can follow us at More and More Podcasts on Instagram, and you can follow me at Hampton Harmon. Uh, if you have any questions about any of these resources we've talked about, please feel free to DM me on there. Um, please feel free to, to just jump in and, and let me know. Um, yeah, we want to we want to get these resources out to you guys, and also we'll, we'd be glad to answer any questions. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.